0: like you, I'm talking about deer hunting now. I mean, people are going to be listening to this thinking, well, why is he talking about deer hunting? This is a a fly fishing show. (laughs) But for me, it's like something I enjoy. Yeah. You know, and even though I'm not going to talk about it for, you know, the next 20 episodes, it's still fun to talk about.
1: It's all connected and, and you don't see it any better than when you're drifting the river in October and you pass a deer camp and and those guys have their fly rods leaning against the juniper tree you
0: know yep. that's it
1: that was gary lewis
0: talking about casting and blasting this is episode number 49 of the wet fly swing fly fishing show welcome to the wet fly swing fly fishing show where you discover tips tricks and tools from the leading names in fly fishing today We'll help you on your fly fishing journey with classic stories covering steelhead fishing, fly tying, and much more. How's it going, everyone? Thanks for stopping by the Fly Fishing Show. In today's episode, I interview Gary Lewis, host of the TV show Frontier Unlimited and author of a bunch of fishing and hunting books and articles. We talk about the Pursuit Channel, how to hunt black deer, and fishing chili and around the world. Gary shares a bunch of tips around uh, hunting deer and upland uh, game birds along with a couple of cool steelhead stories. Don't miss this one as Gary talks about the McNab challenge where chucker, steelhead and deer are all wrapped into one big outdoor challenge in one day. Before I get into the episode today, I wanted to take a quick break to thank our sponsors. Ascent Fly Fishing has a special event during the holiday season called Fishmas. You get 25 to 75% off all flies of selected uh, categories each day during the 12 days of Fishmas starting on December 6th. Go to AscentFlyFishing.com to find out more. That's A-S-C-E-N-T FlyFishing.com. So, without further ado, here's Gary Lewis from GaryLewisOutdoors.com. How's it going, Gary? It's going good, Dave. Thanks
1: for checking
0: in with me. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for coming on And the, uh, uh, little bit of the, the short notice. This was awesome. I, uh, we connected, uh, kind of a cool story. We'll get into in a little bit about how I connected with you. Um, but I know you do a lot of hunting and fishing and, uh, you have an outdoor show. You're, you're a writer. You've got a lot of stuff going on. Maybe you could just talk a little bit about, um, you know, a lot of people in the audience here are, you know, uh, fly fishermen and, you know, anglers and things like that. Maybe you can talk about how you got into fishing and fly fishing.
1: <laughs> All right, well, I couldn't help getting into fishing. I grew up in the Northwest um, on the Kalama River, on the North Fork Lewis, and then lived on the Columbia, so Kalama, Washington and Vancouver, Washington. But I think the the fun thing for me was how I got into fly fishing and I it was on a Sunday after church and I was 12 years old, and I really was bothered by this question of, did I want to become a fly fisherman? And so I I went down to the little pond on our little creek that was in the neighborhood, and I sat there. And I'm looking at this pond, and that's just what I'm thinking about, is do I become a fly fisherman? <laughs> and I see a miller moth comes bopping along the top of the water and I just said a quick little prayer. I said, Lord, if you want me to be a fly fisherman, send a trout to eat that moth. <laughs> and this trout comes up and gulps the moth off the surface of the water. And I thought, oh, man. There you go. I, I am a fly fisherman. And I, I had $36 that I'd saved from mowing lawns. And I, I went down the next day and I bought my fly rod. No kidding. Yeah.
0: That's awesome. And now just for time wise, what, what what year is this?
1: Well, let's see. If I was twelve, that'd have been nineteen seventy-nine.
0: Okay. Yeah, seventy-nine, cool. So right yeah. I just like to put in perspective because I've had a number of guests on uh from you know, we talked a lot about steelhead early on and getting into some trout and it, it's always interesting to think, okay, you're seventy nine, where are you at in the fly fishing? And there was a lot a lot of stuff going on in the seventies and eighties, a lot of new line lines coming out. And do you remember, um, you know, I guess you probably just got a normal trout setup.
1: <laughs> I bought the best fly rod that I could buy with $32. I, I had, I, that's how much the rod cost me. And it, it was a Wallace, which I think was made in Longview, Washington. It was a lot like the Fenwicks of the day. Oh, yeah. And this was a fine, fine glass rod and graphite was still coming onto the market. So Glass rods were the standard of the industry, and I bought a seven weight. And um, this, it was a great rod to learn with, and I caught a lot of fish with it.
0: Nice, nice. And then, and then, basically, yeah, you get started back then, and, and like, how do you bring that all the way up to now, where you have, um, you know, a TV show, and maybe you talk a little bit about how you how you got to where you are now and the stuff you have going.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I used to work in electrical design, and Every day I'd ask myself, how do I get out of this? And one day I got an article published, and it was actually a bow hunting article. And a check came in the mail, and I thought, all right, now I see <laughs> a way. And it took me from that point, um, from the time I decided I wanted to be a writer, it was 10 years till I could do it full time.
0: Hmm. Wow. And then, and so in those ten years, you pretty much. I mean, we've heard some stories here. On oh, I had uh, John Gearock on. He was talking about a little bit on his story. And, and what were those ten years like when you went from where you knew, okay, I can, I can probably do this, and then to where you were actually full time? What was that whole period like?
1: It uh, those were those were great days because I I moved to Central Oregon. And, uh, every day, even though I was going to work every day, I felt like I was on vacation. (laughs) And, and eventually though, I worked three full-time careers simultaneously, um, to, to get to the point where I could stop two of them and, and, um, let writing pay its way. And that was in 2002.
0: Okay. Yep. 2002. Nice. Yep. And yeah, it's interesting. I was actually just talking to a writer from ESPN uh, this week. We were just chatting about some some other stuff relating to the show, and it was uh, it's I, I love hearing this. I just talked to another guy who you know, a kid is seventeen years old down in California, and he's talking about his, how he's working in a fly shop and he wants to get into it. So I love hearing the stories because it lets people know that you know, if you want to kind of go into you know, what, what you're doing it's, it's possible. You just kind of have to focus on it and, and go for it. So, you know, definitely love that story. Um, well now what, maybe talk about your, your TV show just before, so we, uh, don't miss that. What What's the name and, and what do you, what do you cover there?
1: Our television show is called Frontier Unlimited and, and over the years I've had two other names for the show, but we try to tell stories in the context of the hunt and, Fishing, and so we go wherever I'm interested in going, and we try to find the stories from there, and and then tell them while we're fishing or hunting, and and uh, it's all about the story for us.
0: Okay, and how do you choose the uh, the stories you're going to do? You you just kind of something that looks good, and you kind of go for it, or how does that process work?
1: <laughs> well, I start from the place where steelhead fishing is my favorite uh fishing and deer hunting is my favorite form of hunting nice. so wherever that will take us then that's where we go so that could be New Zealand it might be Golden Dale yep. <laughs> the clickatat River and we tr- but we try not to spend a lot of time in any one place okay there but- are we do have favorite places though.
0: Gotcha. Gotcha. No, so you're, this is targeted. Yeah. So steelhead, I mean, definitely a lot of people that listen to this are steelhead fishermen. And then the the deer hunting is something I'm, I'm kind of, you know, that's something I'm interested in and I've been uh, deer hunting. So I wanted to talk a little bit about, you know, both, um, both deer hunting and uh, fishing. And we're going to talk a little bit about this. I guess it's an English kind of this trifecta thing we're going to chat on, but Before we get there, I wanted to tell a little bit of the story about how I found you, because I think it's pretty, pretty awesome just to show, just to show you, you know, the fly. So I found you, I was searching, I had interviewed, uh, Frank Moore and we were, you know, great interview with him. And he said his favorite pattern, I asked him in the interview was the skunk, you know, old school pattern. And I was just kind of searching up stuff for skunk, kind of trying to get the history and your article popped up, you know, and it was, it was perfect. I was like, Oh, here's this person talking about the history of the skunk. And, um, and anyway, so yeah, I was like, just kind of connected with you. And then I was like, wow, you're in, in, uh, Oregon as well. So over in Bend, and I just kind of connected with you and it just kind of kept rolling along, like everything we had similarities. So I, I love that story. And you know, for the, for the fly fishing, so you've done a little bit of fly fishing.
1: Fly fishing. Yeah, we, um, I fish and hunt 80 to a hundred days a year. And it's mostly when I'm fishing, it's mostly fly fishing, okay. and it has been that way since I was 12. And living over here, I've trout fished more than anything else, and this year I accomplished the Utah Cutthroat Slam, catching four subspecies of cutthroat on a fly. Nice. And yeah, fly fishing is major part of what consumes me <laughs> perfect
0: perfect well we'll talk a little more about fly fishing and and i've talked about the the cut slam and i think there's one that's they're trying to create in oregon as well i think it might i'm not sure if it's a cutthroat as well but um yeah that's a cool little program getting people out trying to think more about catching multiple species and not necessarily just trying to catch a ton of one right that's the idea yeah, yeah. so i wanted to uh, like i mentioned get into the the talking about the cast. Well, we joke about it. We have a trip coming up. We call the cast and blast. You know, it's, it's, it's like a deer hunting and steelhead trip. Yeah. And, you know, it's kind of a, you know, kind of a joking thing, but, uh, we do usually get out there and do some steelhead fishing and deer hunting. Um, I wanted to check with you. You mentioned, I've never heard of this before, but what is the program called in, um, I guess it's over in the UK where they're actually, they add, um, it's not only uh, hunting and fishing, but it's bird hunting as well.
1: So this isn't any any sort of a program. It's a it's a tradition out of Scottish literature, out, out of the highlands um, from Scotland. And it really comes out of fiction. Uh, a novelist named John Buchan, who was also a politician, and I might be pronouncing his name wrong, but he wrote a novel called John McNabb. And it's a fun novel no um no murders <laughs> you know it's just it's three bored um men who were you know reached the pinnacles of their careers and they want a challenge and they they want to go find something to challenge their intellect and so what they do is they turn to poaching and they They send letters to these um, landowners and say that they're going to poach on their land and take take a trophy and then see if they can do that without being caught. So these people are forewarned (laughs) and they try to catch these guys. And we can't do that, obviously. (laughs) We're not. We're not advocating poaching. So what? What the McNab has developed into, and it was kind of popularized by my f- late friend Ed Park here in uh, the West. But the idea is to take a deer, a bird, and uh, you know a partridge on the wing, and a fish on a fly. So in if we were going to try to accomplish this in Scotland, we would hunt red deer, we would hunt partridge, and we would try to catch an Atlantic salmon.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And nice. so we can't do that in Oregon. So uh, the Oregon, the Central Oregon McNab would be to, in one day, kill a deer, catch a steelhead, and uh, shoot a chucker. Yep. And you have to do this between sunrise and sunset. Nice, nice. So <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's the cast and blast. Right?
0: <laughs> okay, so I've uh, yeah, I might because of this, I might have to throw in the shotgun this year. I've kind of haven't done it for a while. Uh, we used to bring it because I guess we haven't seen that many chuckers out where we are um, where we've been lately. But um, yeah, I
1: think just because of this, I'm gonna have to throw it in just in case. This might be a better year for chucker. Oh, Roy. Really? So I would definitely have the shotgun along. Okay. So when 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 you do this, you have to ask yourself, what's the most difficult of the three? Is it the steelhead, the chucker, or the deer? That, and, that's a good question. And on any given day, to me, the steelhead is the biggest variable. Yeah. Because you 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 can Figure out where the deer is, you know, and it might be a specific animal or, um, you know, where some bucks are hanging out. And you figure out where the chucker are. And then, of course, you have to be a good enough shot. And we can't sluice them on the ground. So that's out. You got to shoot them on the wing. And then you got to catch that steelhead on a fly.
0: Yeah, this is great. No, I'm actually thinking for me, I think I'm probably, you know, I'm probably more of a fisherman first. So I think for me, um, chuckers would probably be the hardest if I just think about this this week. (laughs) <laughs> you know, which is funny so what,
1: what I would do is if it was me, I would fish until I had the steelhead. and then boom, you know I'd start at daylight and then then I'd be looking for the deer and I'd try to go for the chucker last yeah, that's how so, I would do it
0: yeah me too i'd well, I'd probably do the uh I'd probably do the deer first, get up early, try to get that. Uh, get that down by, you know, and then afternoon, maybe do some chucker. Now no, for chucker hunting is when's the best time to, uh,
1: to find chucker? Wherever. Yeah. Wherever they are, whenever. Okay, so, good. you know, they're they're going to go to water at least once during the day. So they'll descend the slope and, or they'll find a spring and, yeah. and then they're usually going to be at a certain level. But if you, if you did get your deer, you have to you have to try to get the rest of them in that same day because the deer is the thing that you only have one tag for. That's right. So that's what that's what can blow the um, the thing out is if you get the deer and then you get the chucker. Oh, yeah. But then you may not get the grab on your that's on right. your skunk or whatever it is you're swinging. <laughs>
0: that's right. Okay, cool. So yeah, it would make sense to leave the deer for last then for that reason. Yeah. Okay, cool. No, this is good. I'm going to, I'll check back with you after uh, this the hunt here and, and let you know. Um, okay, so we got that. So that's the, uh, that's the cast and blast. What do you, you know, when thinking about uh, deer hunting, maybe we can just go into that uh, first and talk about, you know, I guess if we're talking about mule deer out here, do you have yeah. any, um, you know, just generally speaking, I guess if you're over in, in you know, that Central Oregon, kind of the high desert any tips or what what do you tell somebody who's maybe going out there for the first time to try to find a deer? Can you break it down a little bit for somebody that's new?
1: Yeah, the things that we do as hunters are all the same things that we that our kind have always done. We park in the same places, we walk the same trails, we study the same maps. And we do the exact same things. And so the deer is, you know, they're, it's easy for them to figure out our patterns. And especially a deer that's five or six years old that has seen it all before, he'll do the same things that he did last year to avoid us. So our tendencies are all backwards. If we, if we, um, go out into the deer woods or the desert or wherever it is that we're headed, we tend as beginners to try to cover a lot of ground. And so I I remember days when I would hike 10 or 12 miles just looking at country and hoping to see a deer, and that is the exact wrong thing to do. You should get in one place, one good place, and let the deer move around you. Mm-hmm. And the more you move, the less success that you're going to have. And so that's why that's why we like optics. That's why I carry binoculars on a shoulder strap and I carry a spotting scope. I not only carry the spotting scope, I use it. Mm-hmm. And increasingly I'm using spotting binoculars mm-hmm. more more than the spotting scope. But... You have to use that. You have to use those optics, and you sit in one place and you watch. And you you might be watching a big area or a small area, but you're watching a place that deer come to, and you go to, you you watch a place where deer feed.
0: hmm. Nice, nice. And uh, what what sort of uh, do you have a, a brand or a type of binocular that, uh, that you like?
1: Well. Um, I write about optics, and so I write about whatever's new, and that's what I'm carrying. Oh, okay. And in, and at the moment, I have a new loophole binocular that I'm using, and I have a rangefinder from Sig, and um, a a whiskey um, whiskey five uh, rifle scope on my on mm-hmm. my montana rifle this time so to me uh we have a lot of good optics choices and and you go out and find what fits and use it but use it a lot yeah that's more, more important i think is that you just use it
0: is there a certain amount like do you have to spend a certain amount of money to get a decent pair of binoculars is a you know can you, <laughs> fi- can you find a 400 or 300 yeah. hour pair sort of thing
1: Yeah, we try to compensate for our impatience by buying more expensive and more expensive optics, and we don't have to. There's good optics out there that you can buy at reasonable prices and don't be suckered in by um, European Mm -hmm. brand names and um, just go buy good glass try to compare it to to what's in your price range and the the thing about optics is every optics purchase is a compromise and you have to you have to come in at whatever your comfortable price point is the um, as a rule of thumb I like to think a person should spend almost as much on their optics as they do on their rifle mm-hmm and um but we have a lot of good choices out there just don't use your 20 year old rifle scope anymore yeah um, you're really limiting yourself if you're using optics that are older i i say yeah get something modern that that works for you that fits the budget and don't worry about the brand name as much as as uh maybe some people do
0: okay and and on the better uh, optics, you're going to get some that maybe bring in a little better light sort of thing. That's one feature. Like low light conditions, you might get more light coming into the optics.
1: It makes a difference. And uh, the I've compared optics at that critical moment, you know, that last 15 hours of, or 15 minutes of good light. And there'll be a little bit of difference between one binocular and another and the price i mean there there might be 500 dollars worth of difference between the two of them yeah um, and okay. so so there's it does make a difference and the processes they're using on glass now are way superior to what was being used 10 years ago
0: gotcha okay cool and getting back to some of the stuff you've done so you know you've done a lot on uh, you know, obviously hunting and fishing. You've so you've written a few books and DVDs. Maybe we talk about some of the other stuff you've done out there other than the uh, the TV show.
1: So sixteen books. The latest one is the sixth edition of the Fishing Central Oregon book, hmm. and that one we cover two hundred different waters that you can fish in Central Oregon itself, and then. Um, its companion is the Fishing Mount Hood Country book in which we break down the waters that you fish um, in the Mount Hood region. So from Olali on the south side to the Columbia on the north side and and some of these lakes that you've never heard of, some, some creeks, and then, of course, the big name rivers like the Deschutes and the Sandy.
0: Oh, yeah. Oh cool, so yeah, you definitely covering uh you know all the main uh, areas to fish what what um so you mentioned with fly fishing that's kind of your you know as far as fishing do you what else do you do some other salmon fishing and some other sort of like gear type fishing as well too and do you write about that oh yeah,
1: yep the I fish in whatever way I want to <laughs> whatever yeah. whatever it is we're going for so last week we were. Fishing on the Columbia for bass and walleye using spinning gear. I'm no, I'm no purist, but I do love swinging a, a fly for steelhead, especially in November, and, mm-hmm. and then dry flies, especially hopper. I love oh, yeah. I love drifting a hopper pattern nice. over cutthroat. <laughs>
0: huh, that's cool. Yeah. So so what do you have coming up with the um, with the show? Is there um, Do you have things kind of lined out for the season? Or how does the seasons work? Is This this is on uh, one of the networks out there, the outdoor networks?
1: Yeah, we're on the Pursuit Channel. We're going to be on Wild TV in Canada. The Pursuit Channel gets us to across the country in the United States and then also in the United Kingdom. We're on in um, 18 Russian-speaking countries in the Russian language, and you can... Find us on uh, the Hunt Channel TV and PursuitUpTV.com. So lots of different ways. In the Portland area, uh, the show is on four times a week, and and so there's a lot of different ways to catch it. But what we do is we film thirteen, we shoot thirteen episodes a year, and usually skewing a little bit toward the hunting side of things.
0: Yep, gotcha. Gotcha. And you have content or information shows on there for people all, all around the world that it sounds like you have a pretty good following. So if somebody was in Australia, you might have some stuff they would be interested in there.
1: Yeah, we we find ourselves going to New Zealand. Oh, yeah. Right. <laughs> a couple times. And so we try to shoot some episodes from New Zealand and then we've done episodes from South Africa and, and also Chile, oh, which yeah. is a fantastic destination and one that uh, I've been to twice and I'd like to go back to.
0: Nice. So how do you get, uh, how does that work with, uh, you know, is that paying for the, uh, those sorts of trips? Is that kind of covered, uh, you know, on your own dime or the show or how, how do you work that when you go into head over to Africa?
1: We have to... um we got to pay for this stuff out of our own pocket. So we can't go to Africa every year, obviously. And the, um, you know, it'd be nice to think that the airlines would help us, but they don't. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. So <laughs> totally. because there are a lot of, I mean, I was looking just on the shows that were up uh, with yours. I mean, there's a number of different shows out there. I didn't realize because I've kind of been more in the podcast space. And haven't really been connected with TV and stuff for a while. But yeah, I mean, do you see that? Do you you see the shows growing in in number out there, the outdoor shows?
1: (laughs) Yeah, so we started 10 years ago in TV. And there was a real um, explosion in shows like ours, you know, the outdoor world, about that same time that that we started ours. So Mm -hmm. uh, we had, you know, people that we looked to and... And it really just became a an opportunity out there on in the outdoor networks. Mm. So, what has been what has been the hardest thing about
0: doing the show? Would you say
1: we? Um, I think maybe the hardest thing about television is the people that you work with. And I've been fortunate to work with some great people. And if if I had to work with some of the people that I've heard about or met <laughs> over the years, I wouldn't be in television at all. But the the people that I've worked with are dear friends of mine. And and um, my current producer is we've been working together for about seven years, and and he's very talented, and he's become. a a real successful hunter in his own right too. And so that's been fun to see that develop. I want to
0: take a little break for a word from our sponsors. Ascent fly fishing has a special event during the holiday season called fishmas. You get 25 to 75% off flies during the 12 days of fishmas starting on December 6th. Just go to ascentflyfishing.com to find out more. I wanted to touch briefly just on Ascent, if you haven't heard from them before. They have some really cool products. Um, you can follow them on uh, Facebook or Instagram to get daily deals as we move through the holiday season. But one of their products they have is really cool. It's a uh, basically a, a selection of unique flies that are selected for your unique stream. And what uh, what they're doing over there, it's kind of this, they've got this nerdy database of uh you know, basically, what flies are hatching during the season, different water conditions in your in your stream all over the country. So, they, they're able to select, uh, make a selection for you of these patterns that, that uh, meet your exact stream at the time when you want to fish it. It's a really cool deal. So, check them out um, if you get a chance. It's something that I uh, definitely have my box and it's got a bunch of cool patterns in it. Um, but just want to remind you again uh, to head over to ascentflyfishing.com during the holiday season for. This miss, this is a big thing, and uh, 25 to 75% off uh, different categories of flies is pretty cool. And, uh, again, go to Ascent Fly Fishing. That's A-S-C-E-N-T flyfishing.com. Okay, back to the show. And I was watching one of the shows you had on um, kind of a fly fishing episode, and I think you're on the, uh, up on the Deschutes, and... Maybe you can talk a little bit about that show and how how that went. Um, I believe it was up on the Warm Springs
1: Reservation, oh, okay. right? Have yeah, you have you the, done
0: a few different shows with uh, on Steelhead Fly Fishing?
1: Yes, okay. yeah, we have over the years. And when when I think about the best things, the things that I really like the best, Steelhead on the Deschutes in November is high on my list. And it's not because that's the prime time. It's because a lot of people have quit yep. by that time. That's right. And the uh, the weather can be fairly good. The water can be good. The um, The fish maybe aren't as pressured then as they were in September and October. Yep. But I don't know what it is. Maybe it's the the horses and, and the yep. chucker and the, and the, um, the trains. Uh, but I, I just dearly love being out there and a good set of waders and, and, um, some sticky boots. <laughs> yeah. <totally. laughs> help,
0: a, me, help me hold onto the rocks. And a, and, and a spay rod, right? You're using a spay rod out there.
1: Yeah. And I use a spay rod, uh, once or twice a year. I'm not, i um, always using the spay rod because I fish so many different ways, but it's, it's really important to be out there um, sometimes even just by myself casting and, and reconnecting.
0: Yep. What's your, um, do you have a like patterns, fly patterns you use out there in November?
1: I don't think it matters. Yeah. Um, there's, I I kind of, tend to subscribe to the theory that if I get my presentation right that I'll get the fish. It, when when it's cold that's when I'm more likely to use the patterns that have a more flowing, a little bit more action to the, the yep. feathers. And in the warmer time when the water's a little bit lower and clearer, that's when I'll use a floating line obviously and and the um, more sparser patterns yep. that may be smaller. And so nothing, nothing new, nothing out of the ordinary. And I don't have favorite patterns, but um, I do have colors and profiles that I'm more interested in. And I don't think we should – I think people get a little bit too hung up on what fly to use. Yeah, you know? they do. <laughs>
0: They do. I like that. But that's to, okay. That's all part of the game. It is. It is. I think some people take it to, yeah, the flies to another level of, you know, I mean, well, there's some people that don't even fish. They just tie flies and, you know, yeah. they, they love that. And But yeah. I always I always love asking just because I do um, I do have some videos and on uh, YouTube. So I always love uh, kind of hearing what people are using and then tying up some of those. But um, yeah, it sounds like for you, November, you're just fishing something a little maybe more like an intruder or something a little more flowing or a, a leech pattern as opposed to a little tiny size 10, you know, wet fly.
1: Yeah, there have been times when I'll throw all of that on its head and try to be very precise with a small fly. And I've um, even used the teeny nymph to, to yep. um, good success in that oh, cool. um, kind, of, kind of water. Yeah, that's
0: right. That's right. Okay. So do you have when you look at um you know your story do you, you know, or just your kind of your journey through this thing do you have a, a a story for us that helps you know maybe helped you get to where you are it said it sounds like you had that 10 year period where you were kind of going with it was there a time in there where you just realized like you know you had it or was it that first time when you made that first artic- made some money on that
1: article That was a big moment uh but Uh, You know, there's one of the magazines that I first subscribed to when I was young was Salmon Trout Steelheader. And shortly after I subscribed to Salmon Trout Steelheader, I started taking Fly Fishing the West, which has become Fly Fishing and Tying Journal. So the... Even though I've been published in Sports Afield and Outdoor Life and national and international magazines, it was a big deal when I began to publish in Salmon Trout Steelheader. I mean, it was a it was a personal mm-hmm. big deal for me. And then they put me on the cover a couple oh, times, wow. and I like that too. And cool. and then writing for you know what's now fly fishing and tying journal that means a lot to me as well because of the thoughtful articles that I've read in those pages for decades you know I like to be part of that yeah. it's really it's really neat to be part of that my my greatest joy right now though is taking my grandkids fishing they're 3 and 5 hmm. and the 3-year-old and the 5-year-old each caught their first trout on flies this year Wow! and they did it on casts they made presentations they made by themselves and then they landed each other's fish they netted each other's fish so I didn't touch the rod I just told them what to do and they did it and people who are afraid of learning to fly fish should should back up kick themselves in the ass and say if a three-year-old can do it I can do it too that's right. because we get so hung up on oh I'm not a good caster well this three-year-old he's not a very good caster either but he caught his fish that's right and it casting is just a small part of it there's the the presentation and it and you know we look at the people who use the tenkara rods mm-hmm if they can get fish without casting, and they can, <laughs> then it's, it's not hard. Yeah. And um, I think the best time for a person to learn to become a fly fisherman is age 11. I love the 11-year-old because they're not afraid of anything. No. They'll become more afraid of stuff as they get older. And so expose them now. If you're 11 years old and you're listening to this podcast, go mow some lawns and get your fly rod. That's right. Oops, start in. <laughs> that's
0: right. No, that's a great, that's a great, good stuff. Yeah. my my kids are about that same age, a little bit older and uh, yeah, we've gotten some fish, but I think that that's, that's cool to hear that uh, on the fly and landing them. That's, that's definitely a cool story.
1: We teach them catch and release and we teach them how to, how to clean them and eat them and the, the um, five-year-old, she's a girl. She's fished 20 times this year so far. And and um, last week she said, can I clean my fish? And so she cleaned the fish herself.
0: Oh, nice. Good deal. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. So well, that's uh, an awesome story. I was kind of thinking, you know, if you had another story, all the the trips you've done out there, do you have one story whether hunting or fishing that really sticks out as something that was a, like a memorable thing that uh, you kind of you know you
1: won't ever forget i can't believe that i've got to go to chile twice hmm. and i and i did it two years in a row and went and fished the koyaiki river and the rio simpson and some lakes that they won't let me name yeah and uh, a fish I remember that was twenty six inches long, a rainbow he wasn't the biggest fish huh. that I caught, but he ate both my flies. I was using a dry and dropper, a prince nymph beadhead prince nymph, under a beetle, yep, and I cast and I saw the I saw the beetle shake, and instead of setting the hook like you normally would. <laughs> I I didn't, and the fish comes up and eats the beetle. No way. So when I set the hook, I had both flies in his mouth. He ate the dropper, and then he ate the dry, and he had the lower jaw on this fish was two inches longer than the upper. Jeez. So it was very <laughs> oh, <yeah. laughs> um, old, uh-huh. um, interesting-looking fish, and, and he fought hard, and that was – that was one of those dry fly moments that mm. I, won't, I won't ever forget. But just the fact that I got to, to go to Chile, I would really highly recommend that as a, a thing to put on the bucket list.
0: Yeah. What, what do you think, other than the fishing, what did you love most about uh, being down there?
1: The people were really uh, friendly, genuine. The food was fabulous. The roads are very narrow. It's like some people say it's, I wasn't there, but it's like 1950s Montana. Oh, yeah. And there's a lot of fishing opportunity and the locals fish a little bit, but uh, not nearly as much as we do. Yeah. Do you you see a lot of,
0: uh, do you see a lot, quite a bit of the kind of the U.S., you know, fly fishers down there? And does it seem like there's, I mean, so it's not that point where it's like crowded at all.
1: No, it's yeah. not crowded. Yeah. We we fished water that is managed pretty well. Some of it private and some of it public. But yeah, is no, we didn't bump into other anglers.
0: Nice. Yeah, I have a uh, have a guest coming up in uh oh, I guess later this year that uh, he talked about kind of like a, a DIY episode, like how to DIY your way down to to Argentina. <coughs>
1: Nice.
0: Yeah, so I'm hoping to I'm hoping to go into more uh, as you know maybe next year more stories of how to do some of these trips without you know spending breaking the bank sort of thing. Yeah. Right. uh, Cool. Well, that's that's good. I was also thinking you know uh, on your show, what what is there an episode that sticks out as like maybe
1: one that was the most popular or you hear most about on on the shows you've done? (laughs) Well, it's funny how some of the shows that I like. So well, maybe aren't as popular as some of the others. Mm. And the one that turned out to really get a lot of attention was Hunting Red Stag in New Zealand. And it will get the most views in March and April because that's when people go to hunt red stag in New Zealand. Uh, But at that same year, we also had released an episode of hunting black bear on the Quinault Indian reservation. And that was a very special episode for me. And it didn't get near the, um, near the views and plays because we can chart a lot of that now with, um, the various video on demand services that we use. And that one we called the way of silence and, in which, uh, my, you know, I take a, a black bear on the, in the reservation, but it was really a special, special thing because of the people that we spent the, that week with. And mm. so I, I, you know, there's the ones that are special to me and then there's the ones that mean more to the viewer. Gotcha. They're not always the same. Do you, do you have some, uh, episodes on,
0: uh, deer hunting like mule deer and all that?
1: Yeah. We, yeah. we actually accomplished the McNabb. We were, that I was talking about in one episode Oh, cool! out of Washington, out of Eastern Washington. And that on that trip, I got the deer fairly early in the morning. And then, so as I was you know, processing that deer, I'm thinking we have all day long and I know there's some quail here and some trout. So I called up the Fish and Wildlife office, got my fishing license over the phone and was able to, right around lunchtime, tease up a pretty nice rainbow on a hopper hmm. out of a local creek. And then it was all day long trying to find a, a covey of quail. And I just kept missing, 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 missing. And the dog ran away. I think it was mad at me. I don't know. yeah And then one more bird got up and I swung really hard on it and and uh, dropped it and that completed the mcnab for us it was (laughs) a near thing and then it was then it was sunset
0: nice i'll have to check that one out so now with the mcnab i guess it doesn't have to be uh, a steelhead it can be a trout and it doesn't have to be a chucker it's just a kind of upland game bird
1: depends on where you are and i you know you you change the McNabb oh, gotcha. fit your environment. So if gotcha. I was in New Zealand, it would be red stag, pheasant, and oh, brown trout. Gotcha. If I was in Argentina, it would be sea-run brown trout and yep. red deer and and uh, whatever kind of bird they have down there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, no, that's cool. <laughs> yeah. All right. Um,
0: yeah, I was thinking you mentioned the salmon-trout uh, steelheader, how – know how much of an impact that was well i mean when you first got that article was that your and had you already published books by then
1: yeah i published yes yeah i published one book a year for 16 straight years and then um lately i'm spending more time on television
0: oh gotcha okay yeah so so, and then and so you you said just because that was like a personal thing getting published and getting to the cover what was that process like or how did you find yourself on the cover
1: <laughs> i think they ran out of
0: options <laughs> the only one left <laughs> right well what what was the cover what was the you said a couple what were the cover photos
1: yeah they were um steelhead one from the clackamas one month and then one from the deschutes mm-hmm. nice. yes okay
0: I saw a photo on, I can't remember if it was like social or somewhere, but it was you in a, I think it was some sort of an old car floating out in the, in the, (laughs) (laughs) can you, could you clarify what that was?
1: Oh man, it's just some of the goofy things that I get involved in. Uh, I have a friend, Chuck, he owns a company called Fish Fighter Products and um, I used I used to uh, restore hot rods and we just kind of um, connected over old cars. And he said, well, you ought to come fish with me in my car. He said, I have an Amphicar. And so these were made in the late fifties and they were designed to drive, to do 55 to 70 miles an hour on the highway. And then you, Throw a couple of levers and you can drive it into the lake, and so we did that. Okay, no and we drive into the lake. It is so weird. You're sitting in the passenger seat and yeah. you you're driving straight down the boat ramp, and then you're in the lake. Wow. And so, <laughs> <laughs> so it's an. I mean, that's crazy.
0: This is yeah, because it looks like a. And I'll put a link in the show notes at um, wetflyswing.com/slash forty nine. I'll, I'll get a picture of that because it looks like a, yeah, whatever you said, 1950s, 60s, some old car <laughs> that's just floating down there. So they, that's kind of crazy. They had some amphibious or, you know, whatever they're called cars back in the day that uh,
1: <laughs> <laughs> I never thought I'd get to ride in an Amphicar, much less fish out of one. And so then here we are casting little road runners and um, crankbaits and. Catching smallmouth bass out of this reservoir of CJ Strike Reservoir on the Snake River in oh, that's, Idaho. That's yeah. cool.
0: Cool. All right. Well, let's get back to a couple on the tips again. Uh, you know, thinking about uh, hunting uh, a little bit. Uh, you know, as I'm getting out on this trip, I'm going to be, I'm going to try to, I'm going to. The McNab is going to be hot on my mind. I'm going to be thinking about this. So, <laughs> so like if I want to go, any other tips for finding chucker? Uh, the deer one was a good one to to really you know sit down and uh, you know and glass. Um, but for chuckers, do you any other tips that we didn't talk about here?
1: Uh, I would say if you want to find the chuckers, hunt the deer and fish for the steelhead and be watching with your binoculars for birds as while you're looking for deer and then while you're fishing for steelhead, keep your ear tuned for that little chuck, chuck, chuck yep. sound that they make and, and get ready to put the fly rod down when you see the birds or if you, it can also happen while you're floating yep. and that's then rude. all of a sudden the birds are right there at the river and that's when you that's right. get that's out. Right. And so I, I would say focus, Really, on while you're up there deer hunting, keep your eye out for the chucker because they're going to be there. Yeah, can you shoot out of a boat? Oh, let's see. I don't think there's any rule against. No, there's no rule against shooting out of the boat. But
0: I think I think I would want to be on the
1: ground if I was going to be going after chuckers. Yep. 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 Yeah. Okay.
0: Nice. All right. Well, that's uh yeah, I'll uh, I'll check back with you to uh let you know how I do th- <laughs> how I do this year. So, you you cover a lot of gear. I haven't uh seen all the gear uh, reviews you've done, but do you have like if you had to pick your one piece of gear that you definitely don't
1: leave home without,
0: um you know, to, separate from rifle and fishing rod?
1: Well, it's binoculars. I have binoculars next to me in my truck. I have binoculars on a shoulder harness, and I use those a lot. So, the, the it's it's the most important thing, other than the rifle and the knife, is the binoculars. And gotcha. and I want to have good boots on too. I mean, that's pretty important.
0: Yeah, yeah. No, I, I'm I am inter- interested in the binoculars too because I have a actually have a pretty shitty pair of uh, binoculars. And, uh, I've been looking at like, you know, and I just haven't been pulled the trigger cause I've, you know, a couple of friends have like, you know, the $800 ones I've been like, well, maybe I'll find something that's not quite, you know, and I just haven't kind of got them yet. So, so yeah, it is interesting to hear that, uh, maybe a little more research I could find a, a pair that, uh, that will do it.
1: It's always a compromise, but you, you can find what you want in your budget. That's, yep. that's the way I look at it. And, and the point is is how you use them and the less walking around you do and the, the more focused in on trying to find the deer because sometimes all you'll see is a is one side of an antler or the flick of an ear mm-hmm. and and you won't see that if you're not using your no. your optics really well
0: no you won't that's right what do you think is a good uh, or a, a great Resource for deer hunting, maybe something online, or I don't know. Are there any good resources if somebody wanted to learn about, you know, a little more about hunting?
1: Oh man! This morning I found an article that was must have been written by somebody in Bangladesh, and it was all about Oregon hunting, and they couldn't have had it more wrong. (laughs) And so somebody online actually wrote an article about Oregon hunting. (laughs) And I am I'm convinced they're not from this continent. No. And so you can find a lot of crap online. Yep. I say go to the trusted sources. There's there's some good books on hunting. And um, for the person who lives in the Northwest, our black-tailed deer are the best teacher that that there is. And to learn about Hunting the Blacktail, from Boyd Iverson, who has passed away now, but he left a great book that you can still find on the web, and it's called Blacktail Trophy Tactics. Read that book. And then um, Cameron Haynes has a book on trophy hunting blacktail. There's several other really good um, blacktail books out there. And then um, I have a deer hunting book as well. It's called Deer Hunting Tactics for Big Game Hunters. Today's mm-hmm. Big Game Hunter, and then when you're when you have read all of those, then you read Scott Haugen's Blacktail Hunting Book, and it kind of ties everything together. And when when you study blacktails and you become good at hunting blacktails, you can hunt any other big game on the planet. No kidding. Yeah.
0: And is that, I mean, I have heard some stories from friends that have hunted that uh, like in the woods, they do the thing where they, you know, maybe like step, take one step and then wait for a minute as they're walking through the woods sort of thing. Is that like a, a strategy or like, why are they so uh, challenging to, uh, to hunt? That's,
1: that's the classic, that's the classic way to hunt these blacktail, but it's a lower percentage way to be successful. And for for me i want to be on a high point looking down into a small opening and a place where deer bed and where deer feed and when i find that spot that's the spot that i hunt mm. but these blacktail deer are the are the most challenging of the deer on, that i have found and and i've taken the the grand slam of deer and these blacktail are the toughest, and so they're the ones I am most fascinated by. And you spend the time. I think you you learn to hunt blacktails by reading about them and then going and applying it. Hmm. And, and to me, it's it's the most exciting, funnest thing I do is is try to hunt big blacktails and mule deer. And you get good at blacktails, and you're going to be really good at mule deer.
0: Oh, cool. And is it harder for you to uh, shoot, uh, a, a blacktail or catch a steelhead on the fly. <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh, it's, it's different every day, but yep. I, I, you know, every one of them is a gift. Yep. What
0: about, um, fishing or hunting? If you, you kind of, uh, if you were forced to, uh, you
1: could only do one, would you, uh, fish or hunt? What What would it be? depends on the month you ask me that question and here we are at the end of september so i'm saying i'm going deer hunting
0: there you go yeah that's that's the time okay um let's see yeah so i think um i think we're i got a couple other questions here i want to check in with you um you know we've kind of covered a little bit of everything here the uh i keep coming back to the mcnab uh you know the the trifecta thing there because i think that's a Kind of interesting uh, story, and I love the fact that it started out as like an illegal activity. That's that's quite a quite. Story. <laughs> uh, and now, how long ago was this? Are these guys? Was this? Uh, are these guys still around?
1: Okay, so it's it comes out of fiction. So, oh, okay, yeah. So the novelist um, he created them, and gotcha, and that was fr- um, between the World Wars, and so it comes out of that. Uh, genre, the uh, frustration and fear—you know—I think that was on the European continent and in the British Isles at that time. And so, the, the, those are underlying tensions that are that are in the book that uh, maybe not manifest, but you yep. can you can feel them when you uh, read that that period of literature, the novels from that time.
0: Gotcha. Okay. And what is your uh, plan here? I'm, you know, thinking about, I've, I've interviewed a few people, uh, you know, I had Gene Herring on with, uh, he had a, a TV, he was a producer, had some fishing shows and there's been a lot of changes, you know, with the online changes and things like that. You know, what do you see like yourself in, you know, down the line going with all this stuff? I mean, are you going to keep writing, go more into TV more? And where do you think the, the I guess the industry is going?
1: I see myself as a writer first, and so we try to take the the um, writing, you know, to the visual medium, but that visual medium is changing, and we want to be on the leading edge of it. And so I see that as changing even year to year. But yeah. s- satellite TV is still the big one. Is that... At right now and so we're still strong in in that one satellite and cable
0: yeah yeah you still see uh, that, that that's still growing a uh, part of the uh your audience is still growing there on with the television yeah 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 it's changed obviously it's changed now it's it's people kind of decide when they want to watch it but that's kind of a good thing right for the consumer
1: oh i think it is you know if it's good for the consumer then then the people the people that create better adapt. <laughs> yeah.
0: Exactly. That's that's pretty much yeah and the uh the podcasting thing is a little interesting too because it's kind of given um people another opportunity and given the consumer another chance to have another uh, resource, you
1: know, to to learn and you know. oh yeah, and the the more time i spend with people who are 10 years younger than me and 10 and 15 years younger than me they love the podcasts and yep. so do i yep and uh, w- one of my friends told me that that's what he's doing while he's glassing for deer nice he's just listening <laughs> to podcasts <laughs> that's
0: cool i know the more i get into it you know i started back in uh, december And the more you hear about stories, it's still a slow, you know, it's just this gradual growth, you know, it's, it's not like a crazy uh, hockey stick spike uh, or anything like that. But yeah, you just hear people. I mean, I talked to this guy from Australia who, or well, he left a review. He said, you know, he enjoys the show and listens to it every week. And, you know, he's in Australia and I talk a lot about steelhead and well, I guess I've talked a a lot about trout, but people are just, you know, even though they, they want, they're going to do it. Right. I mean, that's the plan, even though they haven't done it. And uh, it's just it's just a little resource and a way to connect. I mean, like you, I'm talking about deer hunting now. I mean, people are going to be listening to this thinking, well, why is he talking about deer hunting? This is a, a fly fishing show. <laughs> but for me, it's like something I enjoy, Yeah, you know, and even though I'm not going to talk about it for, you know, the next 20 episodes, it's still fun to talk about.
1: It's all connected and, and you don't see it any better than when you're drifting the river in October and you pass a deer camp and... And those guys have their fly rods leaning against the juniper tree. Yeah,
0: <laughs> that's
1: it. We're we're all we're all connected, and, and it's funny when I travel to New Zealand, how the guys they want to know about steelhead fishing.
0: Sure, you
1: know that I talk to down there because they they hear about it, and in this global world of communications that we have now.
0: Yeah, no, it's and for me, it is it is that. I mean, we are that camp. I've been doing this since I was five, you know, the same thing. And uh I kind of think about it because I think probably, you know, if it wasn't for my parents, you know, my dad, especially getting me into it, which is cool because now he's going on this trip and he's going to be 80. Yeah. And uh, getting him on the river isn't as easy as it used to be. But, um, you know, it's just that thing. Like, I don't know if I would have done it been a hunter I think fishing I'm totally you know into but the hunting thing is something like well I'm not sure if I would have been a hunter if it wasn't for my my dad get me into it and I'm I'm glad you know obviously because it is a lot of fun once you do it
1: yeah yep it sure is so. and it it becomes one of those challenges that for me at least I it's a new challenge every year I don't sit back and think about my past successes. like, I just think about what's going to happen next. Yep. What right. am I going to, how am I going to find them this year? And I always am going somewhere else. You know, it's always a new place. One of the things I've found is that I can look at a topo map and I can figure out where the deer live by looking at the topo map huh. and I can draw a spot on the, that map and then go there and, and take the buck no that lived, mm-hmm. lived on that X that I put on wow. the topo map. I've done that year after year That's after amazing.
0: year. So what are you, are you looking for? I mean, what, what is the secret there? Like kind of looking for, well, you're not seeing springs. You can are, are you seeing water, uh, that sort of thing on the topo or how are you, how are you, uh, is it just the contour?
1: It's, it's where the water is, It's where it is in relation to the road and where, their beds are likely to be in relation to the water. And it's way easier to figure out on the, on the dry side than it is on the wet side of the mountains. And, but it's, but it's doable. It just takes a focus. You're learning how to read topo maps, learning the funnels and the, not only the funnels, but the, landmarks that i think that the animals use when they have to move from place to place and and i'll look at good deer habitat and i'll go right by it if it's flat yeah you know there might be a whole bunch of deer there but i don't want to hunt there because my style i have to be up high Uh looking down into um small openings that's that's how it works for me
0: Oh, it's cool. This is uh, I'm going to be thinking about this because this year we had a uh, a huge fire, uh, one of the big biggest fires. Oh, yeah, we yeah. had and it uh, yeah. it burnt uh, a lot of the country that that we used to hunt. So I think this year we're going to probably be exploring some new areas. So I might have to do a little more of uh, looking at the topo maps as opposed to kind of just hiking up and kind of scouting scouting.
1: You might be, you might find yourself looking for those green spots. The only well, green spots that are left, you know, in, that's true. In, the, that's right. in that blackened habitat.
0: I know. I know. I'm hoping that we'll find a couple of patches that'll be good, good to hunt. But if not, that's the great, it's the cast and blast. So if, uh, That's right. if the deer, we've had times, I tell you, we've had rough times with hunting over the years and fishing, but you know, when the, when the fishing's or when the hunting's tough, then you still have a fishing trip, which is cool. Yep. <laughs> All right, Gary. Well, that's about all you know I've got a you know a bunch of uh, hunting tips I want to you know pick your brain out. Maybe we could do that uh, some other time uh, maybe just let us know in the next six to 12 months if you have anything new coming out or what we can look for as far as everything you got going you got it thanks Dave or, or do you um do you anything uh do you want to just touch on anything new you coming uh, have coming out with the show or anything in the next uh next year or or, we'll, or books we'll... or anything
1: you you're doing our new episodes will launch in March, and That's so that's what we're looking f- forward to. Oh, Is, cool. is um, bringing out these episodes we're working on right now.
0: Okay, so anything that's out there that uh, you've already done, they can we can find it all online at. Um, and
1: w- can we go to just GaryLewisOutdoors.com
0: and have connections to all your stuff? That's right. Okay. That's right. Yep. All right, Gary. Well, thanks for coming on and sharing the tips and uh, you know your story about what, what you're doing out there i appreciate uh you know all the the resources and you know the fly the skunk that you know from where we started uh, i appreciate you doing that little history of the skunk pattern and um, i'll look forward to you know definitely looking more uh, looking at more of your stuff online
1: the skunk is my favorite steelhead fly too and and so it was a privilege to be able to write about its origin in a way that other people maybe hadn't seen before.
0: Nice, nice. All right, yes. all right, Gary. Well, we'll talk to you soon, and uh, thanks again. Thanks. We'll see you out there. All right, see ya. Bye. So there you go. If you want to find all the show notes with all the links we covered, just go to wetflyswing.com/forty nine. And uh, please head over to the Facebook group where we are continuing uh, continuing the conversation on some of these topics just go to wetflyswing.com facebook uh, to join the uh, tribe over there and uh, we'll see uh, hopefully then thanks again for stopping by to check out the show today i'm looking forward to catching up with you soon and hope to connect with you on the river or online thanks for listening to the wet fly swing fly fishing show For notes and links from this episode, visit wetflyswing.com. And if you found this episode helpful, please subscribe and leave a review on iTunes.